everyone. My name is Alexandria Porter, and I'm going to be your moderator today. And uh, I'm part of Generation Z. And so I'd like to turn it over to the rest of the panelists, introduce themselves, and state what generation they're a part of. Hi, I'm Judy Bowie. I'm a part of the Baby Boomer generation. Hi, I'm Sheila Yarbrough, and I'm part of the Gen X generation. And I'm Brittany Martin. I am a millennial. Okay, good start. So um, the next question is, use three words to describe your generation. If you had to describe yourself, would you still use those same three words? This was a hard question for me because I had to really go back and think about what I found to be um, different about my generation. But I came up with three words um, or three sort of words, um, goal-oriented, um, resilient, and driven. And those are the words that I would use to also describe myself. And I don't know if it's a generational thing is the reason why I think these words stand out, but they're definitely words I would use to describe myself. You know, when I think about it, for me, my generation embodied sort of the need to be successful um, with a threat of competition there, as well as independence. And I think of the three, the, the independence piece is definitely still there. So if I had to describe my generation, uh, the first word that comes to mind is versatile. I, I think that um, we have to have a lot of skill sets in order to survive in our current um, job market. Uh, I would also say like very determined because I think we are, we have to be very determined to kind of navigate some of these troubled waters that we're currently in now. And then I would just say we're, it's such a hard one. I would just say that we're just a very strong generation too, considering again, um, the current times that we're in. And also just um, the fact that I think people are really hard on millennials and uh, we just have to have tough skin. And I think that those things for me also describe me, I think. I think I'm versatile. I think I'm strong. I think I'm determined. Okay, so you all answered that question in very uh, different ways. They're all very interesting perspectives to come from. Um, what is, on the flip side, what is one stereotype that you feel does not fit your generation? I don't think that our generation is as money oriented. I mentioned success. And I think when people talk about Gen X in particular, you know, we're the ones, whether male or female, you know, we're striving to, to, to climb the corporate ladder. And yes, that was a part of when I went to college that we were to be um, as, to, we basically were to assimilate and climb the corporate ladder. And I think for many of us, Along the way, we realized that wasn't who we were and what we wanted. So that independence piece, the need to still be successful, but a little bit of the edge, I think that um, might have been a focus for some of us or what our generation of the stereotype that is that we're so focused on, on money is not there. I think that's a stereotype and that we are a giving generation and a generation that is willing to connect with others. I think that some of the um, the things that have been said about my generation is that we're single-minded, we don't listen. And I wouldn't say necessarily those are 
untrue because I think that's true of some people in my generation. Um, my generation, to a great extent, a lot of them have left the workplace. And so they're very tied to their way of seeing the world because they've left the workforce, which also gets them disconnected from what's going on in the world. But so I think it's partially true. Um, but also, I think that we're the generation where we do know a lot. And sometimes our need to share what we know creates this whole idea of us not being good listeners. But we, there, we are good listeners because a lot of us are, have been professional counselors and have spent years as being professional counselors and working in environments where they were the person that was in charge of actually mentoring and um, training people. So being in the workforce when you're a baby boomer helps you to stay connected to what's going on. When you leave it to retire, sometimes the disconnection creates this whole persona around people in my generation. So some of it can be true and some of it not so much so. I think the stereotype that probably bothers me the most is the that millennials are lazy. Uh, I can personally attest that I'm not lazy. I've always had at least two or three jobs. I've always been in school full-time or over full-time. So for me, it just constantly bothers me to hear people call us lazy because I know I'm personally not like that. And then I know my friends aren't like that. And people around me aren't like that. Now, again, kind of like what Judy said, there are some lazy people. Um, you know, I mean, but there are lazy people on every generation, in my opinion. So I think just to call a whole group of people that I think is very harsh. And I think sometimes we have to take a closer lens um, at people before we kind of make those harsh judgments. And just to kind of um, kind of piggyback that, and I know that everyone has met someone from my generation that would identify, you'd identify some of the things like not listening, not being patient and all of that. And I'm thinking about what Brittany said about, you know, what was attached to people in her generation. And I think of my having been a manager of, of professionals, you know, I'm trying to say kids, <laughs> but professionals from that generation is very difficult um, to manage because the mindset was very different. The work ethic was a little different. I had some Britneys, of course, that worked really hard, but then I also had the other side. So it was, it was challenging managing that generation. It really was because well, I, it was so different. They were so different. Yeah. I agree but with you. A lot too. Yeah. I agree with you. If, if it's okay to piggyback that, there are differences. And I've sort of been in between with managing and working with both generations. And I'm also closer in age to the boomer side. But the other piece of it is helping as sort of a person sort of involved in communication, helping both sides see the benefit of working together and the qualities of working together and sort of, and I think it depends on, you know, sort of the group willingness to be respectful and listen and share and work in partnership because we've got on the one side, years of, like you said, fantastic experience, years of working with and counseling and mastering material. We've got, you know, and at the other hand, we've got this youth, this ingenuity um, this willingness to sort of 
think a little bit differently than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And then, so I really think it is important in the workplace that, that managers pull those best qualities out of each person in a respectful environment. Yeah. And I think sometimes the millennials are discounted mm-hmm. you know, because well, they're young. we think their experiences are, are like ours or their experiences aren't long enough for their right. opinion to have value. And I think that's a mistake because I always feel the, I always feel like the younger generation brings in an infusion into a workplace that cannot be get gotten from someone in my generation. And so that infusion is important in making sure that the environment stays, that it percolates, Mm -hmm. that it's moving, that it's constantly moving and changing because And this is, again, I'm speaking of my own generation, because I know sometimes um, boomers can get stuck. We get stuck in the way that we are used to doing things and we don't want to change it. So then you stay stagnant. But but also keeping in mind that group, which is mine, are on their way out. So then my mind, why do I need to learn something new? I'm getting ready to go. And then you have the <laughs> younger generation trying to say, well, let me show you how to do. And you're saying, well, why do I need to know how to do that? <laughs> and it's like, because. So it's a very interesting um, mixture that can occur in a work environment if you allow both of those generations to kind of connect and both be open to it. The younger generation is more open to sharing what they know the older generation gets a little more controlling and not necessarily being open to the change. And I'm not across the board, but I think it's more predominant than we'd like to, I'd like to admit. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you bring that up because I just remember at my first, my very first job that it was like that, that you'd ask people to train you, but they didn't really want to train you. So then you'd have to figure it out. And then that's when we kind of got the, where you're being lazy, but you didn't show me how to do the job. So I, you know, I have to like, you know, it takes me longer to like figure it out. And then I have other resources available to be like, you know, the technology that's up and coming. So maybe I'm just doing it a little bit faster because I have a machine processing it versus, you know, you know, you may have, you may have had to use a different process. So I, I just remember having a, a huge project that was estimated to take like seven years and we did it in like three months because we let the system do it. So. Well, it's that ingenuity that I mentioned earlier. And I think it's important, especially as a person who's managing and working with members of each group or not just each group, but my group in general Mm -hmm. is to create a respectful learning and sharing community where everybody benefits from it. Because since, you know, as I'm aging and as I'm moving forward, the part of me that doesn't, what I don't want to see lag or lose is understanding technology because we can't advance without it or just being open to new ideas and looking at the world differently. And I think an environment that you know, as you said, as you spoke to Judy, the the environment that still or the individual that remains open to learning and growing, I believe in lifelong learning, that it definitely adds a vibrancy, not only to the environment, but to the each individual as well. Yeah. yeah. And if I think I think if we keep that in mind, then there's a place for all of us who still want to contribute. Yes. 
There's a yeah. place for all of us if we still want to contribute, but there's no place if you don't want to connect with the other groups that exist there. There's no place for you because the 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 problem is that as the as we age out, as our generation, my generation ages out, if we don't prepare the generation behind us to move into our roles, then what happens to the organization as a whole? What happens? Because we haven't shared anything. We haven't mentored them. We haven't trained them. So what happens? Well, an organization that is smart or that has smart leadership prepares for that. And there's no place for ageism at any point within the spectrum. So they prepare for that. There are contingency plans. When a person leaves, there's someone else to take his or her spot. There's exactly. So it's important to sort of think ahead. But one of the fantastic things that I, I see happening now, especially with so many millennials, um, is this entrepreneurial spirit. But I also am seeing it with baby boomers and Gen Xers who are sort of catching on that with the increase and expansion of technology, we can create our own new business. You know, we can create, we can try. Even if we want to walk out of a workplace that we feel no longer fits us, we can sort of create our own income streams. And the internet technology has allowed us to, is allowing us to do that if we're willing to do it. Now there's a part of me that would like to sort of sit by a stream and, you know, hang out and read a good book, but we can't always do that financially. I think being open to learning, lifelong learning is Mm -hmm. so important for each generation. Yeah, I think we took a lot of lessons from the the Xers and the boomers. And I think that's why a lot of us have that entrepreneurial spirit now, because we've seen some of the hurdles that you guys have had to overcome. And now we just want to create our own pathway because we understand that we could be CEOs and presidents and that we could freelance and that we don't have to necessarily be tied to a specific corporation. So that's why we get the, the label as job hoppers, too, because we don't necessarily necessarily feel the same level of commitment to an organization. I know um, before it was prized if you stayed with a company for 5, 10, 20 years. Now it's like, oh, you've been there for a year already? You're not looking for another job? So it's just kind of like a, a, a nice uh, transition, I think, because we get to have all these different experiences and in, in short spans, but it just makes us, in my opinion, again, more versatile and stronger because um, we're just leveraging what we have access to. Well, since we're on the topic of workplace and things about like having uh, jobs and stuff, so what was it like when you all first entered the workplace? When I think about, I was looking at that question and I thought that was a, an interesting question because it's it makes me go back to a point where it wasn't necessarily the best for me because I didn't feel like I was in control of my own career because my generation, we had to make concessions in order to move up. And sometimes the concessions were not so comfortable you had to kind of tolerate a lot. Um, And what we did by tolerating is we were waiting for our time. We waited for our time for when we got a chance to be in charge and make the decisions. So when we started off, there weren't a lot of women that were in roles that had um, what you would call decision-making power. 
And so you would be waiting for your opportunity to move up. But what you have to understand is that while you're waiting, you're depending on a man to make a decision about whether a woman should move up to the next level. But the hoops you had to jump through, you knew they weren't hoops that men had to jump through. So, um, and then on that part, we were, it was, you, I'm a woman and also I'm a black woman. And so there were a lot of opportunities that I wanted and had to, to wait for my time. And so I learned how to um, choose my battles. Cause I'm, when I was moving into the workforce, I was uh, aggressive, I was outspoken and I knew what I wanted, but that didn't always work. And you couldn't always be as aggressive and outspoken as you wanted to be if you ever wanted to move up. So you had to learn how to play a different role and be a different kind of person until you got where you wanted to go. And that's what I had to do when I was young and, and hungry and I wanted the next promotion. Did it pay off? Was it worth it? Yes, it was. And But I always felt like it was always my responsibility to help bring other women, not just Black women, but any woman who wanted to move up to kind of work with her, talk to her. And some, some young women did not accept the advice as well as they should have. And so sometimes you learn how to step back and let people dig their own hole for themselves, unfortunately. And I hated to see what that happened to women, but sometimes you have to let it happen in order for them to learn the lesson. So in the beginning, it was tough. It was tough because the battles you had to fight just to make a way because you're a woman and because you're a black woman were not always comfortable, you know, but it was the price that you pay if you wanted to move up. Now, if I didn't want to move up and I just wanted to work, I was fine. I could just have a job, but I wanted to have a career and I wanted to be in charge. <laughs> so I had to pay dues. And that's what I find different about the, um, the millennials is that sometimes I'm concerned that a lot of millennials don't want to pay dues. And for someone or my generation, that can be a little, um, it kind of makes us a little angry. It's like, okay now, because everybody needs to pay some dues because dues make you appreciate what you have when you get there. And then you have more of a tendency to give back. But if you don't pay any dues and you got there because of nepotism or because somebody put you in that position because you knew somebody, then you, don't, you didn't pay any dues. You just had the right name. You just knew the right people. And when you get there, you don't think that you have to give back to anybody because how you got there in your mind, nobody helped you. So that would be one of the things that I, that concerns me is that. Yeah, I did some research on that. It's so funny you brought this up because I, I made sure I researched this specific thing. So I think that has a lot to do with the tremendous amount of debt that we have. I think that's why we're more willing to ask for these promotions after like two weeks of working at a job because <laughs> our rent is crazy. We have to pay like $1,200, $1,500, sometimes $2,000 just to live at a place every month. And I think because, you know, we even with student loans and just, you know, the, the cost of everything right now, I think 
that's why it appears crazy sometimes when we walk into an office and say, give me this job. I should be president now. It's not because I don't think it's because like we really necessarily think that. I just think it's because we're trying to survive, too. So we know we need a president's salary in order to actually support our our cost of living because it's crazy now. I think uh, I think the average student loan debt now is like fifty to sixty thousand dollars. And I think that's just undergrad. So if you had, and, and most jobs require a master's degree, a doctorate degree. So you're, you're, most of us are probably in six figure that by now, not to mention if you want a mortgage and a car and to have kids. So when a millennial walks into your office and asks if they could be the vice president, they might need a vice president's salary. So I don't know. I don't know if they think they've earned it, but I think they need it. Uh, I think that's what it is. But and you know, know what? And, and the problem that occurs is because this is a millennial asking a baby boomer for the job. <laughs> All the baby boomer sees is that, who the heck do you think you are? You ask them how much debt they have when they walked in the office <laughs> and, and boldly asked you for, for a promotion after three months. Well, look, as a generation in between both of you, I remember starting out and going to career services. And at my college, this may have happened to both of you. You're given all these credit card applications to fill out and they come like butter, right? That's what was happening. I was in college in the 80s and we were taught, it was sort of, I just remember the Farrah Fawcett hairstyle, the gold jewelry, uh, you know, we had to look at for a certain image, especially for those of us who thought we wanted to go into business. And so, Judy, like you said, there were those of you who were like, you're fighting, you're waiting for your time to, to get a position and you want it. I went to a school and I was part of a generation where we were being groomed to like break a glass ceiling and to like some of you had already opened the door and then the rest of us were to follow through, but we had to follow through looking a certain way. And I think I used the word assimilation earlier. We had to, if you look at some of the styles, if you look at some of the old movies that, you know, are in the eighties, you will see sort of this, this double breasted and it's coming back again, but this sort of style that where the women uh, we were supposed to be sharp and you weren't supposed to show emotion. You know, there was a certain kind of aggression that you were supposed to bring to the table. On the other hand, times, just like you mentioned, uh, Brittany, have changed where the marketplace, uh, inflation, um, companies left us. We didn't always leave a company, right? You get a chance, your generation and Alexandria's generation gets to see people like me and like Judy who did get the jobs, but the jobs left us because they closed. We didn't leave them. And so we've been trying to sort of adjust, you know, especially I think my Gen X generation, we've been trying to adjust to the um, the way we were raised on the one hand with boomers and folk, baby boomers and folks who came before saying, get a good job, stay in it. But the struggle, and we, we paid the price. I remember being told by an administrator um, at the time, you should cut your hair. You should, your hair is too long. You should cut it. And she wanted, she actually described in style with the, you know, sheared off very short. And at the time mine wasn't. And I was like, after I spent that much money getting it relaxed, you want me to cut this? Um, but it was sort of fitting into this image of this tough businesswoman who was ready to break a ceiling. And when it came to having babies, 
and having families, I can tell you that I got some very strong messages that you wait for that. You let that happen later after you have achieved your most important corporate or career goals. And so, you know, along the way, I think I also said earlier that some of the stereotypes, I know many of us who have sort of who changed our mind or even got to that corporate position and found out that the money, the other pieces that were there, that it wasn't the nirvana we thought we were getting when we got it. So as you can see, there's some changes I made along the way, but I do think the, we have to take into account that lifestyle that our society sends messages about where we should be and what we should be doing and what we should have. I'm so and, happy you said that. <laughs> yeah. And we taught you, you've learned from us that, yeah, it's okay to accrue debt. It's okay. And, and I remember, like, I have friends who may have financed, let's Ooh. say, nice trips and other things on, on student loans. <laughs> and that may have meant that the debt kept going and going. But along the way, you know, we, we've sent messages and we still send messages sometimes inadvertently and in society that to have stuff is the sign of success. See, and but that's why we think we should be VP at the age of 25, because we were told you graduate from high school, you go to college, you go get this master's degree and you're going to be the head of your company. They don't talk anything about like, oh, you need 10 years of experience. You don't think about that part. All you're thinking about is, well, they told me to go to school. And when I graduate, these recruiters are going to come after me. It's that that missing component, the, the conversations about, well, no, this is how the job market really is. I think that's the part that's missing from a lot of colleges and universities is that conversation of, no, you're going to need five to 10 years. You might need 15 years of experience. Where I think I think a lot of young people think I'm going to graduate and just get this thing because I had a moment with a, a person from Generation Z who had been at the job for just a couple months and she asked for a promotion. I thought she was insane. I said, you don't have any experience. But when I had that moment, I thought back to, you know, the way that I felt in that moment when I was her age. And I said, OK, I get it now because I, I thought I deserved it, too. And you bring up an interesting point, is it, and it's my generation and Sheila's generation, boomers and Gen X, we didn't tell the truth about what it took. We did not want to tell you how hard it really was. We didn't want to tell you what things we were willing to deal with as strong women to get where we are now. And so what we did is we created this false idea of what it took. Because when you're looking at us, you're looking at how easy it looks. And then when you're in it, you say, you didn't tell me, you know, that I had to, because we didn't tell the whole truth. And for whatever reason, we all signed off on not telling the whole story. We just talk about where we are and where we're doing and all of this, but we didn't tell how hard it was to get here. And the things that we agreed to sign off to do to get here so that you as the generation following could decide if you wanted to make those same concessions or 
create a different kind of way to get to where we are. We didn't tell you the truth. And that was on us. That was our fault. So then when you come in, uh, <laughs> you, you were saying this about what we're looking like. I was the one who used to train and teach the class that taught them prepare for the interviews. And I was appalled the first time I saw a young woman come to an interview with pantsuits on. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's wearing pants. We were told to never wear pants. Oh, you oh, never, never wear pants. Oh. Never wear pants. Never. I had to transition had a moment. Mindset for what a woman was supposed to look like as a professional in interview because I grew up with you always wear a suit, a skirt, heels, and everything. Oh, wow. Hose, hose, pantyhose. You oh, had to wear those. You cannot go bare legged. No. Never. But now when they come and I, you know, I had to adjust my way of thinking because again, I'm still in the workforce. I had to adjust my way of thinking of how women should dress for an interview because of where I came from and what I was used to. And, but women of my generation, baby boomers who aren't working anymore, still saw things the same way as when they started. And so how dare her come in there wearing that? What was she thinking? And I'm like, <laughs> and it's a whole different mindset. It's just different. Well, it's but it's growing, and I'm glad that it's changing because we were sort of kept in this box of, and you're saying we take the blame, but that silence and that secrecy, I don't know that we were deliberately being silent. We were just saying, this is how you get ahead, and this is you, how you succeed. But I the other thing that I know we didn't talk about that I remember experiencing, and I remember watching the Clarence Thomas Anita Hill trial. I remember that. And, you know, we... we <laughs> I just, part of, I think what we didn't talk about was how, because you were a woman, yes, you could try to climb that ladder, but all the other things that you might be slapped in the face with, including not only sexual harassment, but even sexual assault, um, things that now I am so glad that as a society, there are so many more avenues. I remember sitting in some of the very first trainings about sexual assault and sexual harassment, particularly sexual harassment in the workplace. And I remember folks complain like, we gotta go sit, we gotta go talk about that. And the lack of comfort that the people, from the people who were doing the training, as well as from everyone sitting in the room. And I was working for a company at the time. And so it was being rolled out and HR was trying to sell it as a good thing. And we all knew why, right? But the discomfort and the fact that all of us sitting around the room, had experienced what they were talking about. And quite a few of us sitting around the room, and I'm thinking of that particular room, had perpetrated what they were talking about. And, and you know, and of course, that was years ago. I'm talking about the 80s, but we are still experiencing and we're still having to talk about some of the very same issues. And, um, you know, the stories, if we were to really sort of sit down, especially as women, but as, as men too, and talk about what we experienced with each other, you know, with each other, you know, that we experienced as we were going through our whatever, whether it's corporate, whether it's medicine, whatever career field we've chosen and that's represented out there, that we would find that we have some horror stories and some very similar stories about how we were treated in ways that we didn't expect that we'd be treated that way. Because I remember the first experience that I had was something that involved with harassment. I was like, what, what? I, and just 
the the sort of shock, but also the shame. Like, did I do something wrong? But did I did I say something? You know, was my shirt button up tight enough, or was it too tight? But that I am so happy now that given technology, given the fact that people are talking more and more of that silence, Judy, that you talked about. On the if we talk about later, we might talk about sort of things to be a little cautious and concerned about. But one of the things I do really like about your generation, Brittany, and Alexandria's generation coming up is that you guys are talking about issues that we would have never dared to even bring up. And then when it came up, when it was broadcasted across the country, we had to start dealing with it. And we're still trying to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah, my generation as a whole wouldn't speak of it, but I used to, I was a little bit of a rebel. I would talk about it in classes that I trained young women how to protect themselves. And I would speak about the topics that we weren't supposed to because it was just not something you talked about. But a lot of it had to do with because I was in an environment where I was the only woman sometimes in the meetings. I was the only woman, I was the only brown face. And so when I'm going back into the classroom, I had to talk about it, I had to teach about it. If these girls out there did not get the education from me, who were they gonna get it from? So I had to talk about it. I had to bring it out. I had to ask questions. I had to, you know, kind of break down these um, illusions that they had about what it was going to be like when they get out there and work and how people are going to respect them and give them a chance and let them, you know, I had to talk about the one thing, don't volunteer to take notes because you're a woman. Because every time there's a room full of men and there's one woman and they say, who can take notes? And they look at you. And I told them, I said, you say, I don't take notes. You know, I, I never, I couldn't remember who I got that from. Judy, that was definitely you because every single time I'm, that happens, I just have a moment and I'm like, I'm not doing it. And I, I just burst and just is uncontrollable. I just burst out of my mouth. I'm not the one to do it. And, and, I, and I think that's a good lesson because we all, we should always be looked at as leaders too. Well, continuing on like the common thread of the workplace and like working environments, but so fast forward, maybe, um, what are some of the benefits of having intergenerational workplaces? We talked about how um, the mixing of ideas and the continuing uh, technological education and building those type of skills. So what are some other benefits of having intergenerational workplaces? Gen Z, so I get all confused about which generation is one. We can, I know my generation can tell the why it's, it's a good idea to have someone from Gen Z to be there. I'd like to know why you would feel, a Gen Z person would feel it would be beneficial to have a baby boomer as part of the work environment. Or do you feel like there's a benefit? I would like to know that. Okay, um, I think there's a place for everyone in the workplace because I think you touched on this earlier. There's a lot of different experiences that everyone has that people can learn from. I, I firmly believe that. Like, I think Gen Z, we, like, I was born in 2003. And so I think the cutoff is like 2000 or 2001 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so there are different experiences that we have that a Gen X or baby boomer wouldn't have. But then there's experiences that baby boomers or Gen X would have that we wouldn't have. Like, for example, uh, sure, I was alive when the recession crashed in 2008, 2009. But 
did I do I remember it? Not really. I was five. But like millennials and Gen X and some baby boomers who are still working hadn't retired by that point do remember that impact and are able to bring lessons to the table when we talk about like even if like how policies are made or how businesses target people when it comes to money, like there are important circumstances that other generations have faced that I think have can that can be brought to the table when making decisions. So I think it's a good thing to have intergenerational workplaces. But because I'm moderator, I like to know what you guys think. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I, I, yeah, that was actually really great. Really <laughs> good. But I want to know from I, the younger, Brittany, I could chime in on that too. I, I think we have to have each other. We're, I, that's how these organizations survive. There are just certain things that I think we need in order to, to balance things out. Like, uh, just experience and knowledge and just things like communication skills. Like there are just certain things that I think you guys eloquently do that we don't necessarily know how to do. Like you have experience, you know, with people in general. And, and Judy, I just kind of like pick on you with this because for me, Judy can walk into a room and like people will just People just swarm, swarm to Judy because she just has that sort of aura about her. But I think that comes from experience, too, because she just knows how to carry herself. And there have been moments where I've sent things or done things and I'll come to Judy after the fact and say, what should I have done better? So and, and I, I just think that if we all can just take a moment to just learn from each other and just learn, you know, some of those soft skills, because the technical skills are one thing, but you can't really leverage technical skills if you don't have the, the soft skills to kind of balance them back out. So so what if I can, you know, crunch some numbers in an Excel sheet? I have to know how to deliver those numbers to my client in order to like not only make the sale, but to keep that relationship going. And I think that's kind of like the bridge for me or like the the thing that's most important because you can teach anybody technology. It's the whole cycle for me that's important. Yeah, communication is so important. It's being able, and again, I have to go back to a workplace or in, in, in managers and leaders who really nurture respectful communication that is inclusive of everyone there, that brings out the best in all of us, that helps people connect to one another, whether it's the person who tends to sit back and watch, whether it's the person who, you know, Judy, who everybody comes to or flocks to, or whether it is the person who knows the technology, pulling it all together and respecting and having an environment that is rich sort of in sharing and growing is the, is the ultimate, I think, workplace. Or if you want to create your own business, it is sort of something to strive for, you know, as you move forward, pulling together your own team. Like, how can I get the best out of everyone and have everyone feel that they are genuinely a part of what I'm trying to create or what I'm trying to build? Mm. I like of course, I agree that they're the intergenerational um, workplace is great, and I enjoy it. I think that the the millennials teach the baby boomers how to get to give them courage. I I am always inspired by millennials and their. Um, and this whole idea about doing something different, doing something better, making a decision to step out and do something different. Mm -hmm. So I agree 
appreciate that. The problem is when you have um, an intergenerational organization, baby boomers, if they're not in the right mindset, they can halt the process, not help it. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you have baby boomers who are just holding on until they can retire. And so they're not continuing to give to the environment. They're just stagnating it. And God forbid if they're in a position where they're in charge of a lot of stuff and are responsible for a lot of stuff, but not feeling like they want to be bothered with training people or helping people to take their position or their role. So then that becomes a hindrance rather than a help to the environment. If they are open to learning some new stuff changing the way they see things and opening up to that, then yes, it's a good, it's good because there's a need for um, people from my generation because we are the, what do you call it? The, um, we're the legacy. Okay. So we're the ones that have all the information. Once our group leaves, then the history leaves with us, which is unfortunate because then nobody else can take the story. It's supposed to come from me to Sheila, from Sheila to Brittany and then to the last group. That's the only time when it's a hindrance. And I say this because I'm from that group and I also know who people who are from my generation who are still working, I know how their mindsets are. And sometimes I'm managing people that are from my generation that do not want to grow and change and deliver better results because they're still working. Because my thing is, if you're gonna still work, you have to continue to grow. If you don't wanna grow, then you need to retire. You need to retire because otherwise it just stagnates the environment. So yeah, I agree. It needs to happen. I was going to throw this out there too, because I like this misconception bothers me personally. The misconception that like Gen Xers and, and boomers aren't like technologically savvy. And I always have to point out to people like they're like, Gen X and boomers are the ones that even created the technology that we're using now. So that's that's just like a huge mix, misconception. And when Thank I think that out there. Thank you. Because it's, yeah, it's just the, it's the truth. If you, if you really look at the people who have created these things, look at their ages. I mean, this is why we have laptops and cell phones and all of these things that we utilize on a daily basis. So for me, I, I just got to throw that out there. And when I think back to college and like starting jobs, it was the Xers and the boomers that taught me how to utilize this technology. And I and, and yes, it has evolved and changed over time. But when I really sat down to think about, well, who taught me how to use this stuff? I always thought to like a, a generation that was like older than mine. Cause I can think back to the nineties where I, I just remember being at home, my mom was building computers from scratch. So just seeing things like that, um, I think that that's something that we really have to like stop as a stereotype because yeah. it's just not true. Well, and it's not harmful. It's, it is harmful and it's not part of the inclusive environment that I talked about before, but we're respecting each other. I learned from boomers. I learned from people who were even pre-boomers about sort of the ingenuity to keep figuring out how to navigate. So mm -hmm. if you stop trying to navigate this world and the technology, and Judy, you know, you were talking about the baby boomers who are just waiting until it's over or waiting until they retire. 
The problem is, and I'm glad that they can become trapped, that we all can, because you know what? I'm right behind you. And what I don't want to lose, and Brittany, what I wouldn't want you to see Liz, and in Alexandria is this sort of pursuit of knowledge and new things and the willingness to try it out because we just sort of, we, we languish. And the reality is, you know, there are some of us on this who talk and maybe some of the people who might watch it who may be members of AARP. And one of the things that I find so fascinating is there are so many classes and sessions to teach anything that you want to know. And it covers such, and, and it also looks at the back. It's not just the, you know, the, the 50 year olds or the 60, but they're also responding to 70, 80, 90 year olds, keeping them engaged. And there are people who are teaching some of those sessions and who are involved in it. But one of the things that I have to say, and Judy, you brought this up about millennials and this whole no fear. Brittany, I remember with the technology thing, so I'm playing around with technology and I'm like, I just got to press, I just got to press send to just put it out there in the world. And it wasn't that the technology was the difficult part. It was the putting it out there in the world for everyone to see. And I was like, Brittany, how do you do this? And she said, I don't know. I'm a millennial. We just tried things and we put it out there. And I was like, you know, I'm going to think like a millennial right now. And then I hit submit. and something. So that, you know, I, and I'm going to hold on to that, Lord. I'm just going to think like a millennial. And when some, I'm hesitating about not learning the technology or trying it, but putting the results or the sort of the fruits of my creativity or labor out there, I just got to go for it. And that is like, you know, one of the gifts that you've given to me as a millennial. And then Alexandria, you're sort of sort of navigating and willingness to sort of look at different aspects of society and how they can all come together as a Gen Z, right? Yeah. You know, you've got that. So you're looking at all of us, your generation born in 2003, um, looking at all the rest of us and still sort of figuring out how to make your way and and grasping it and learning so you can sort of move forward. And you guys are, are picking up from all of us, you know, that are still here, how you move forward, what you can use, what you can discard. But the thing is you're learning and you're watching. Yeah. 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 They're, they're taking a chance. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I used to, we would, Sheila and I would be talking and I said, I'll tell you, those millennials teach you how to leave a job. Because <laughs> we hold on, because our generation has, you're supposed to work until you retire or die first. Yeah. Millennials, you know, if it's not working for them, they move yeah. on. Phil, it's like a Kenny Rogers song. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And sometimes. <laughs> That's what I've learned. I've from learned from you even more than that song. Sometimes you just got to fold it and walk on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, oh, that's yeah. because we learned we learned from you guys that you know just just watching, just observing, just you know we we wanted to to live a life the life that you guys wanted to live. So we're just kind of taking we're taking the lessons from you and we're just trying something new um, and we're trying to make sure all of us get there. That's that's kind of like my opinion. Okay. But you're forging your own path. You're forging your yeah. your own path too. And, you know, for you, for um, for the next generation coming after you with Alexandria's group, I see you forging paths and just, 
you know, some of us are going to follow along with you, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of what generation we're in, you know, and, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So to keep things moving, I'm going to go to the next question, which is, um, what impact does race play when discussing generational differences? Well, race everything. Unfortunately, and it always yeah. will, and you know what? It should. It always should. I, I think it impacts us all the same, actually. And, you know, hey, some of the stories, I'm like, oh, we're still talking about that. It, um, when and where I enter, Black women um, in the workplace and sex in America, Paula Giddings. I read that book, I'd have to look at the dates. When and where I enter, I remember reading that, and she captured sort of the history of working, whether we were enslaved or not work or, or the work whatever the workplace might have been and it's always been there it yeah. it, it just simply has yeah. now in the 80s that wasn't supposed to stop those of us who were leaving my particular school and moving forward because I went to I went to an HBCU Jackson State I have to say it and you know we moved forward but it was there and it simply you keep moving forward. You deal with it. Yeah. You manage it. You learn to navigate, and you keep moving forward. And I, you have. I don't look at it as a negative. I look at it as a difference. You know, in my generation, I'm starting off. I was always, to some great extent, as I moved up, I was the only black person in the room or I might've been the only woman in the room in a lot of situations. If I, I looked around, just got used to it. Now, did I feel marginalized by being the only? When I was younger, I didn't know how to exactly deal with it. As I got older and more experienced, I knew how to deal with it. So I didn't look at it as I was being marginalized. So I wanted to speak, I would speak. If I didn't, I didn't. I didn't feel like I had to, but that, came with time and came with age, it came with maturity, because you have to you have to learn how to deal in those environments. Because when it in my generation, there was a very there there could be some very strong and powerful forces there that affected your your gender and your race, you know, and because people tried to marginalize you because of your gender and your race then because that was the nature of the business. That's what everybody did. And people got away with it until you met some outspoken, aggressive person of color or a woman that had a dean who was aggressive and outspoken. She didn't allow, she was the first woman dean in this, in our, our device system. And she didn't allow people to marginalize her because she was a woman. And I learned from her, and this was a white woman, I learned from her how to speak up. And then I ultimately became the dean, the first black woman dean in the system. And so she's the one that taught me how to have a voice because I was leading the largest department on campus, you know, and in doing that, if I hadn't learned my lessons from this other woman who had found her voice before me, I wouldn't have known how to do that. So you learn your lessons from different people and it may not always be someone who looks like you. It may look be somebody who looks like somebody you just met, somebody who has no connection besides they just want you to grow 
in whatever the business was. And she wanted that for me. So she taught me and she taught me that lesson. I was able to manage that whole large team that she managed before, which was the largest um, group on campus in terms of managing um, instructors. But I couldn't have done that if that woman hadn't come before me and hadn't taught me how to speak up for myself. She did. Yeah. So sometimes race was, is it, it, it just is, you know, it just is. It's not a good, it's not a bad, it just is. And you have to learn how to maneuver in the society with being just is. I hate when people say, I don't see any difference. Yeah, you do. If you don't see any difference, you don't see me. I'm different. I am different. So you can't say you don't see any different because you don't, you, you don't see me. And that's why I, I think it's important. Yeah. I think the sad part, and for me, the sad part is that our generation is still dealing with it. You know, like you guys have paved the way and you fought all these battles for us, but I still go to meetings and I'm still the only black woman in most of those meetings still. And I I think that's, for me, the hard part. And I I think the, the hardest part too, is that there's still so much red tape that we have to cut in order to even get into those rooms. And then when we're in those rooms, a lot of us still aren't in the, the correct positions based on our experience and our education. Uh, and now, you know, we have to get all these certifications. We can't just have a degree. Now we got to get certifications. And now we have to get, you know, all these other layers of things built on top of it. So I think for me, like that, that's the most difficult part is the, the question of, well, why am I still dealing with this? And I think that the nice part about millennials to a certain extent, maybe it's not always the best, but we are very bold and in walking into rooms and saying like, why am I the only one here? I've had many instances where I've asked that question and just, I don't feel the fear because of the work that was done before me. So I, I feel that sense of protection and that, okay, well, my friends have already been through this. I, I've already seen them break the glass ceiling and I know that this is possible. So I, I can walk into a conference room with confidence and say, no, this isn't right. I know that this is possible because I've seen it been, I, it's been done already. So I think um, that's kind of like the the blessing from, from you guys, specifically for me watching you too. Um, I know that these things are possible. So I can walk in and say, oh no, my friend Sheila is uh she's an executive and I should be an executive because I know what she went through and you know my I've I've worked these X amount of years and she told me this was possible. So I expect so I think I think you know I think that helps. You have every right to expect. Alexandria has every right to expect. And I think as we know more and as we see have more examples, and Judy, you're right, we might we find allies along the way. There have been places where I've entered, I'm using you know Paula Giddens uh, book, there are places where I've entered where I didn't stay long. I wasn't quite a millennial, Brittany, but I finally said, this is not a place for me. Let me go, just go to, to, to a space where I can be more welcomed, maybe not perfect. But I think that what we have now is an environment where we can see so many opportunities. And when there are so many examples of women, of women of color, 
moving forward and saying, I'm going to take charge and I'm going to take control as much as I can of my own life and my own career. And whether they're, you know, they're supported by someone else in the room, in the room or in the group. And Judy, as you were, were nurtured by the example you, you gave, whether they decided to move on, like I have done in the past to a place where, oh, I am appreciated. It can happen. Again, we have so many examples. And I think that, you know, yes, definitely. Allies along the way can be supportive. Other women of color supporting and being supportive. And I think one of the things in the 80s, I mentioned competition. We were taught to be competitive, but I've seen so many people sort of give a hand, mentor, talk to. And I think that that is important, you know, as I move on in age and still work through figuring out all that I want to be when I grow up, because I'm still growing up, um, is being open to connecting with other people and supporting their efforts and accepting support from yeah. others who have what I don't have to be able to make my dreams come true. Because I think we all deserve, regardless of what generation we might identify or where our age lands, or we land with age, is to still have dreams and to still have, you know, the support to make those dreams come true. And given the rise of internet, we can see what people are doing around the country. We can see what people who look like us are doing and women who look like us, whomever the us may be, um, given diversity, we can see so many people succeeding. And we can also see that there's still a lot of work to be done because race did definitely, you know, I think we're all human, but there are still those who will look at the color of our skin and make decisions about us, you know, as we walk into the room. That's their problem. My problem is to keep moving forward. My goal, my strength, and I think the strength of so many of us represented here is that we just keep moving forward. We have our plan. We act on it. Yeah. And we have to, and if we don't want it to continue to be like the millennials in that the, the landscape doesn't change, then when we're in a position to hire, we also need to make a commitment to hire people. Because, you know, I've been in a position where I can hire I could hire, I'm hiring lots of people. And so I have to make a concerted effort to pay attention to the diversity in my own environment because you can get so focused that you don't have the diversity. And someone who doesn't look like me, in their mind, they're not necessarily making the same kind of commitment I'm trying to make, which is to create diversity in the environment. If I have the chance, when you're in a position where you can do the hiring, then you need to try to change the landscape if you can. And that's what I think has been a problem is that people who have been in a position to hire who have been of color have not made a commitment to change the landscape. And that's why it still looks the same way. When Brittany turns around and looks and it still looks the same is because when people got into a higher level position of, and they were of color, they did not make the commitment to change the landscape. They just kept moving forward. And you have to stop. If, if it's going to change, you have to make a commitment to change it. We can't leave it to other people because they're not going to change it because in their mind, that's not their issue. It's ours. So if we want the environment to look different. We have to make the commitment when we're in the position of power to make those decisions to hire those people in the, when you're in the position. 
And when I'm in the position, I can make those decisions. And that's why my department will always be diverse. But looking to other people to do that, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because that's not their thing. That is not their issue. That is not their concern. It is ours if we want things to change. And we need to make a concerted effort to do that. And I don't think a lot of uh, my generation has done enough of that. I think Sheila's generation has not done enough of that. So now it's time for Brittany's generation to take it on and be conscious of it. Because that's the thing that happens is you're unconscious and next time you look around, it looks the same. And you say, oh shoot, I could have hired and you didn't. And you think about it because you're in your position. You gotta think about it. You gotta make the open commitment to doing it. Otherwise it'll look the same forever. It'll continue. I think they're going to do it. I think that they, uh, Brittany, Alexandria, I think your generations, you're exposed to so much more. I think there are so many other avenues that are in place for you that when you build your teams, as I said before, you're going to look at inclusion in a way that the rest of us may not have been taught to do it. You're going to look at inclusion. You're going to look around the room and see who is sitting at the table and who I want sitting at the table. And I also think that the fear and the exposure burns away fear. And we've had so much exposure between, you know, when Judy entered the workplace and then later when I entered the workplace, again, like I said, I remember sitting through some of the first sexual harassment trainings and along with those came race and all the other pieces. I remember when we didn't have that. So the exposure now is so great and there are so many examples that I don't have a doubt that those of you who are coming on board and that more of us who are still in the workplace do pay attention, do look around the room, do examine our own internal biases. Because when we talk about race and when we talk about sex and sexism and orientation and all those pieces, we've also know now that we need to be investigating and thinking about our own internal biases because we live in a world where that stuff can sort of seep in and we have to make sure that we're doing the best to, to be aware, as you said, Jim, about what's going on around us. And I just think that given the rise of the internet, given the fact that we're in a, and still in a place where so many people are talking and sharing that your generations, millennial, Z, that, and whomever comes afterward will be in a be much better position to do exactly what you're describing, Judy, to make sure that there is room for more people at the table, to make more tables, to pay sufficiently at those tables, and to simply be inclusive. Well, the nice part about social media in particular now is that you can't hide anymore either. So yeah, that tweet that you sent, <laughs> we still see it, right? It's there. We know now. Yeah, no matter what you say or what you do with all these cameras everywhere, you just can't, you just can't do it anymore. If you say you're diverse, well, are you really diverse? Let's go take a camera into your conference room and snap a quick picture and see, because you know, either you are or you aren't. And I think that's what's kind of driving our generations now, the younger generations, is that authenticity. Are, are you actually who you say you are? So, and I think that's kind of our, you know, benefit too. And I think that's what pushes things like this natural hair movement. Are you, are you really who you say you are? Are you really comfortable with who you are? And I think that that now, you know, you could look at all four of us and, and our 
And I think in our glory, you know, we are true to who we are. Like we are ourselves because it's just, you have to, you, you just have to be, you have to be authentic these days, no matter what generation you are. Yeah, I agree with all you guys. Like uh, when it comes to making a change, making an impact, if we want to see it, we have to make the concerted effort to do so. So now moving to our final question. What challenges do you guys feel future generations will have to face? <laughs> well, I, I promised myself I was, I, this has really nothing to do with this question, but I'm just going to throw this in there anyway. Because I've been thinking about this probably for six months. I have a coworker who's ge technically Generation Z, and I hope she sees this. And we we just as a joke were playing the sound of the internet. I think Sheila, I've told you the story before. Yeah, and and she had never heard the sound of dial up. She had not. And I said, you don't know what AOL is or like MSN or any of that stuff. And she's like, no. And that was the moment where I was like, wow, I'm like older now. Like I just I had that moment where I was like, oh my God, you don't know what this is. And I think it was like something else on the table, like a cassette tape or something like that. Cause we have this little nostalgia table and she's like, what's this thing? And I, and I just, I just finally had an epiphany, like, wow, like I'm going to actually have to like teach this girl stuff. Cause she doesn't know what any of these things are. So it, it was just like, it was just like a nice, it was kind of like a scary moment, but an, a nice moment too, because I, I think the challenges are the same as, the education is that we have to teach them about their history and like why we're doing certain things in order for them to actually be successful. And the same person I'm talking about is the, is the same person that after a couple of months was like, I want this promotion. And I'm like, are you crazy? You can't get a promotion. You don't know anything. But from her perspective, she does. She knows all the technology, but she doesn't have that, those soft skills quite yet that I think that you get with time. And it's just sort of, again, just expressing to her and educating her and giving her a more realistic timeline of how things really work. I, I think that's our responsibilities. That's, that's the challenge. The challenge is we have to teach you and you have to let us. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I, I realized when I started off that I was very goal-oriented. And I think that that's missing. That's my um, that's my fear for future generations is that they don't sit down and plan where they want to go. They just want to go, but they don't plan how to get there. And so they don't prepare to get there. They just want to get there. And so there's a whole process that takes place before you actually get there. But the problem is they seen you in it. They don't think about what it took to get there. And so I'm always concerned that they're not really creating their goals and their game plan of making it to wherever it is they're trying to go. They just wanna be automatically there. Because my, my generation, we're about planning. You know, we plan for everything. You know, we had goals, we had plans. I'll tell you, I have books of things that this is what I want to do in five years, uh, 10 years, and all of that. All these things were very well organized. But um, I don't, I cons I'm concerned the future generations, and I'm talking more about um, uh, millennials and Gen Zs, 
that they have to stop because, you know, a lot of times when they graduate from college, just graduating. It's like, well, what are you going to do when you graduate? Well, I don't know. I just want to get a job. You got to think about what are you going to do so that you're prepared. You know, when you were talking about some of the um, the things that they they put in your way about saying, I'm not going to promote you because you don't have the certifications. I'm not going to. And my thing was always, you're not going to tell me I can't because I don't have something. So I would always get it. So when I got there, you can't tell me I can't have it because I got everything I need to get to this next level. So now what are you going to say to me? And so that's how I was able to get jobs I wasn't technically supposed to get or I was supposed to be held out of because of who I was, because I did all the preparation ahead of time before I came to the table. And that's the thing that concerns me. You got to prepare before you come to the table because then nobody can say no to you. They can't say no because, oh, I have that. Okay, I have that. Oh, I have that. So what's holding us up? And so then with your bluster of being a millennials, are you holding me back because I'm black? <laughs> you can't because I got everything else I need. That's the concern. When they decide that they want to be the president, come to the table with all your credentials. And they can't tell you can't be president. But if you come to the table with just a want and a need, but nothing in preparation to get it, then you're kicked out the door and you're never taken seriously. So that that would be my biggest thing, the goal setting, the preparation for the advancements that you all will deserve at some point in your careers, <laughs> maybe not the next day, but at some point in your careers, you will deserve. But don't mess up the chance because you have poor preparation. You got to prepare. You got to prepare for what you're trying to achieve. And that's mine. I think the knowing, and this is part of my makeup too. So, hey, this doesn't have to be, I don't know if it's a perfect answer, but I think knowing how we got to where we are. So being open to learning some history, being able, being open to learning some research, doing some research, uh, whether it's the organization, whether it's the people, you've got access to so much information. And part of my fear sometimes is that all of that information becomes too much. It becomes overwhelming. And the, 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 the problem that I occasionally see for all of us, not just for your generations, but you know, you guys will still be there after we're gone, I guess. You, you have so much access to information, thinking critically and weighing and judging that information so that you can find what you need to, again, I'm going to use the word move forward, so that you can find what you need to be able to communicate across diversity in general, whatever that may mean, whether it's age, whether it's socioeconomic level. Also remembering that, and I think you guys are doing this because I'm already seeing it, the need to sort of be authentic and to reach out and connect with other people and bring them along with you and, and the, the supportive piece. So on the one hand, the technology that gives you so much information, that gives us so much information, we've got to think critically about it and, and find what we need and how we, it's a tool, right? Social media is a tool. The internet is a tool. It's a tool we didn't have access to. To me, it's still like magic, all right? I remember note cards and book cards and catalogs. But to have so much information at our fingertips, we've got to sort through it. 
and figure out how best to use it so that we can do what we need to do as individuals and what we need to do with those people that we want to connect with and to move them forward. And then along with all of that, not letting the the media, not letting the internet, not letting all of the information that comes our way tear us down personally, tear us down individually, knowing that we can still be authentic, finding those things that support us rather than break us. And that we still within all of that be as authentic as possible and continue to sort of communicate because still, whether you're communicating online, whether you're communicating in a discussion board, you're sending email, you're sending text, Instagram. I don't even remember all the stuff. Alexander, what? Snapchat, <laughs> TikTok, whatever you're doing, still remembering that there is a need to communicate one-on-one with people individually, in person, that that is still so very important. So maybe I gave too much of an answer, but you know, some of the things that are wonderful and magical like access to information, still need to be treated, I think, with those same critical thinking skills that, you know, existed decades, centuries that we have. We take what we need, we use it, we keep moving forward. Before we wrap up, and Alex, I I do have a a question for you. I wanted to just very quickly read this quote um, because I just thought it was hilarious. So the children, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in places of exercise. When do you guys think that was said? I'm not quite sure I I can pinpoint it, but I can tell you this. It sounds like some of what I read. I used to teach educational foundations. So when there were plans to set up schools, in this country, people were concerned that the youth were running rampant in the streets, that they were not minding their elders, that they would have no useful skills, and that they were involved in things that were just simply unseemly. So so if you had to pick a year, what year do you think that was said? You know what? But I, and I'm, what I'm reading was, again, this was the early sort of part of this country, but I could say that would have easily that could easily be in the 50, 1950s, but it could be in the 17 or 1800s too. Because wow. society is always looking back at earlier generations, trying to fix a way to find a way to socialize them. So I, I don't know. I can't pinpoint it because I think it could be just about any, any decade, any century that we've already gone through. My guess, I was going to say like 2010 or like 2011. And Judy, you said 2000? Yeah. I think it's way before that. So that's why, okay, so Sheila was on the right track. This was around 400 BC that this was said. And I I just thought it was so funny because we always think the younger generations are crazy and like troublesome and don't respect (laughs) us. Always (laughs) useful skills. Yes. That's what they were saying about each of our generations before when we were young. That's what they thought about my my generation when we were kids, and then Sheila's, and now we're saying it about millennials. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and you know we're talking about Gen Z already. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so I just I just I read that to to essentially say I think we're all going to be okay. I think we're supposed to be somewhere critical because. It's our, our protective nature to want the younger generations to be successful. So 
So, so now, you know, with that being said, because we do want the younger generations to be successful, Alex, I'm, I'm throwing this question back to you. What do you need from us? And we can each answer and order for you to be successful, your generation in particular. No, I think, well, I know um, one of you guys brought up the point of having communication, although I still like to argue that point, but I still think it's a good point. Because there is some of us, like, I have friends who get anxious about ordering food. And I guess it's because, like, my parents are older. But my friends, like, they freak out ordering a pizza. And I'm like, it's not that hard. So I think communication is definitely something that we can work on. Uh, Another skill? Hmm. I could be calling myself out by saying this, but I don't know if I am. I think that patience we all need to learn patience especially um my generation just expect to like know things and like if you don't know it like you're dumb and i think that's i think we should all like be take a little like step back and be like okay you don't need to know everything no one expects you to know everything it's like take a seat back and like take a seat and just listen i think we're very like outspoken and we're very quick to talk about things and hop on subjects, but I don't think we take the listening part of the conversation very seriously. So I think that is one thing that we can get help with. Um, I don't know. I guess, I don't know if this has to exactly do with what Brittany just asked me, but as far as the question that you guys were talking about uh, prior to this, I know I'm the moderator, so I'm like taking the back seat, but one challenge, one challenge that I think our generation has is it's, it's a double-edged sword because I think being outspoken is very important. And I sometimes look at myself, I'm a little shy, and I think like, oh, I probably should have said something, but like, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to get involved. I'm a very like, I'll just act like that didn't happen and we'll keep going for the sake of like my sanity. So, but I think being outspoken is very important. But I think on the other, on the other side of that coin, I think we shouldn't cancel people because like cancel culture is becoming very big. I don't even know who started that term, but I don't think that we should cancel people for doing things. I think instead we should, of course, we can't let them get away with it. Cause like there's some things where it's like, you probably shouldn't have said that, or you probably shouldn't have done that. And I think people need to be confronted about it because if they never, if no one ever tells them about it then they're just gonna keep doing it. And like, it may either on the, like it could either escalate to higher things or it just becomes a nuisance that never goes away. But I think that we, instead of saying like, oh, you said this, get out of my face, never talking to you ever again. We should be like, you said this, this was wrong because X, Y, Z, and this is how you could fix that situation. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe one thing, I guess this could be something we get help with is like being more understanding and being less quick to judgment and more, more listening to, to each other. I think that would be very important to address all the issues that were talked about in this panel, whether it be women in the workforce or racism or politics or anything, we need to be more understanding of others and not be so quick to be like, to point fingers at each other and not so quick to disagree and be so binary in our thinking. We should be more inclusive and understanding and listen to each other because I firmly believe that we can learn things from other people and other people's experiences, no matter their age or what they look like or their background. So yeah, that's my piece. Okay. I think that the thing I found most interesting about this is that those are all soft skills again. And I, I do think a lot of those things come with, with time and just asking the right questions because 
I mean, I could personally say I have I have bothered Judy and Sheila endless amounts of times to figure out am I communicating with people appropriately? Can we reframe that? Because I don't think you See, she's going to do it. I know Let's it. Reframe. <laughs> Let's reframe that. We talk about reframing occasionally. And she said bothering. There was no bothering. It was a discussion. And that's why you ask people for help. I I think that that's my thing is being willing to be vulnerable and ask for help and just saying, did I do this right? Is there a way I could do this better? And I think those are the things that are going to teach you patience and to teach you communication and how to navigate through some of those things. It's just asking, just ask people what could I have done better in this situation? Or, you know, should I stop talking to this person? Because sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to do that. And I think I've learned some of those things from Julie, Judy and Sheila over the, over this time. So do you guys want to chime in on that a little bit? I always think about, um, and I always try to teach this is understand your impact because everybody you encounter is going to either gain something from you in a positive way or gain something from you in a negative way. So understand what impact you want to make on, and I always think of the next generation. You know, as an educator, we all are supposed to consider our impact so that we send out the future generations with some lessons some information, something that's going to help them to be better, help them to grow, help them to be successful. And I, and it's unfortunate that a lot of baby boomers do not want to take that on. You don't want to take it on because if they were parents, then they say, I've already raised my kids. And if they weren't parents, why should I do that? But because of the field that I'm in, it's a natural transition for me. You know, as an educator, we're always teaching. But there are people from my generation who are not necessarily educators, but they are people that are in significant fields that could be more helpful. And they don't take it on. And they should. And they should. Because they're getting ready to transition out or transition into a different field or area. But before they leave the one they're currently in, understand the impact you could make if you really choose to. If you choose to, you can make a huge impact on the next generation that is trying to get into the fields that you're leaving. And if the field that you're leaving still looks the same as it did when you got in it, you haven't done anything to change it. You haven't, you have made it, but you haven't done anything to improve it. So what have you really done? What have you really offered? And that's, that's my biggest thing. I always try to help. I try to make an impact. Even just, you know, we talk, we have, Brittany and I, we have short conversations. And in the short conversation, I'm always thinking to my man, okay, what can I give her so that when she leaves this conversation, she has something she can use? That's what I'm always thinking. I'm always thinking like that. When anybody that I'm, you know, has come to me and asked me a question, you know, because it's easy to just kind of quickly move through, you know, it's key. You know, somebody asks you something, you just go, okay, you just give them the answer. But then I stop and I say, okay, what were you trying to do? What did you want to do? <laughs> and what? And then it turns into a conversation of 
helping that person because, you know, that's what I think my role is now. That's what I think my role is now. My role is no longer to be in charge because when I was younger, that's what I, my role was. I wanted to be in charge. And now I don't want to be in charge. I want to be helpful. And that's what I do. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think for me, it's important to be open. Again, it's that lifelong learning and it's like sharing and communicating. Mm-hmm. And if I have something that I can share with someone else, that is fantastic, but I'm also learning. I'm still being open. I'm still open to learning. And, and I think that helps me grow and to be in, in turn is sort of a cycle, right? If I continue to stay aware and growing, then I can be more of more support to someone else, to another person. And I do believe in sort of paying it forward. I do believe in that sometimes what goes around comes around you know, and that we can, and, but I do believe that we can stay connected. And I think being connected, being authentic and open is still very crucial, I think, for all of us. And if my listening supports your effort, fantastic, because it makes me feel better that I may have done something. Maybe that's a little selfish, but it's true that if I, if my listening to you and my sharing, because a lot of times you have the answer. Brittany, you talk about those times we've talked. You had the answer. You just wanted a listening ear and you deserve that. And I think we all deserve that. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's true. I, I, I will say, I think that's what some generations want. They just want validation. So I think um, that's the, am I doing the right thing? Am I actually doing the right thing? And we may not always do the right thing, but it's the willingness to listen and to get feedback. I think that's the most important thing, like as you grow is, is being willing to take that criticism because it may not be what you want to hear, but it might be what you need to hear in that moment. I think that's important. I know we've talked, I sometimes might think about, well, the consequences, if you do X, then what will the consequences be? And so at least being aware of those and, and you then you have you aware of your choices. Um, I think all too often we we all can get into a point where it feels like we're boxed in and we have no more choices. And having someone that you can talk to, you know, you've talked to us, I've talked to people, Judy's talked, Alexandra's got her friend. We've all found, I think, folks to whom we can, you know, we can talk, we can speak, and we sort of get more clarity and mm-hmm. understanding of, of what the next step might be. All right. So at this point, we're going to wrap up this panel discussion and we're going to take a a couple moments to transition to our next speaker. But thank you so much for joining us. Let's give Judy, Sheila and Alex a virtual round of applause as we again transition to our next speaker.